0: Welcome to another episode. I'm Sabrina Lynn and this is Rewilding. We are talking to Sally Kempton today. Oh, I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I want to give you a quick little recap of it. So if you don't know who Sally Kempton is, you should. know. <laughs> she is an extraordinary teacher, an extraordinary teacher, I would say, um, has brought so much wisdom around Shakti, around Divine Feminine Path, around Shiva Shakti tradition, around the Tantra tradition, into the Western world, and she does it in such a glorious way. You'll hear me talk about that kind of right at the start. Um, She does it in this way, she just brings things to life so maybe listen for that as you listen to this episode but her capacity to just bring things to life right and that's that's shakti right so she really goes into what is shakti what is shakti in other traditions called how shakti is really the the link to any sort of evolution enlightenment. It's just stunning how she brings words to kind of the wordless, right? Also gets really tangible, really practical, having a conversation around tradition, like different traditions and paths. And so if that's something that's rubbed up against you, definitely stay tuned to that part. We really get into nitty gritty and Sally brings some incredibly practical tools for discerning ready for it practical tools for discerning deep authentic inner guidance from maybe little self talking it's great that conversation happens about three quarters of the way in so you don't want to miss that also just on kind of a rewilding announcement point, make sure you listen to the next episode. We always do a follow-up episode to all of our interviews where we kind of do an experiential journey into something talked about. So we'll explore something, we'll dive deeper into something. And so stay tuned to the to the very next episode if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this. Also, if you want to stay abreast of all the new programs coming out. There's different options coming out, online options, some in-person options coming out. I know we're going to end up doing some big monster free challenge kind of at the end of this year or the start of next year. Don't know what it's going to be yet, but make sure you're subscribed. You can subscribe at rewildingforwomen.com or sabrinalin.com. So rewildingforwomen.com is a little bit more specific to just kind of feminine reclamation path and women's circles. Sabrina Lynn is where we're starting to (laughs) branch out into things like sacred sexuality, branching out into reunion, branching out into living close to the bone, which that'll also be opening to. So. If you feel to be a part of the community, just hop on over to one of those places and uh, and come hang out with us. All right, that's enough of this introduction. Enjoy this conversation with Sally Kempton. It's a really good one. Sally Kempton, welcome to Rewilding. It is an absolute
1: pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's my pleasure, Sabrina.
0: <sighs> I am. So excited to have this conversation, especially with your upcoming course on cultivating Shakti.
1: Yes, and it, it is uh, it is one of the primary things we do in life is talk about Shakti <laughs> in one way or another. So, yeah. I would
0: love to, Sally, if it feels all right for you to really start, if we could, if this feels okay, to start at kind of ground level with, shakti i know most of our listeners are well aware of shakti we have a lot of conversations around divine feminine around shakti around life force around this creative essence around this this kind of aspect or way of working with the divine but i would love if you could bring some words to that and as a way of starting this conversation into cultivating shakti if we maybe just start with shakti
1: yes and uh, as you probably know, talking about shakti is difficult because sh- what shakti is, is the underpinning of everything that we talk about and of talking itself. You know, so, so from several points of view, on one level, shakti is the dynamic aspect of the divine. You know, In the Kashmir Shaiva Tantra tradition, which is the tradition that I base all my teachings on, there's an understanding that, which I'm sure that most of your listeners are very well aware of, that 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 nature of reality, the nature of the divine, is both stillness, transcendent isness, and dynamic manifestation. So, Shakti is that aspect of the divine which which is the creative force which manifests planets and worlds, and you know the the kind of Hallmark of the Indian traditions on goddess, on, on the divine feminine, is that goddess is among her other attributes. She's the veil. She's the Maya, that keeps us from really recognizing our true self, from you know from seeing the divine core that we all are. So, and and the the mythological kind of um, imagistic way this is described is that in, in order to manifest a universe, she draws a veil between the two halves of herself. So that, so that consciousness cannot see itself, which of course is the problem we all have. We we can't really understand. We can't really grasp the fact that our awareness is our, is our primary primal self. So in the process of awakening or of, you know, of self-transformation in, in my experience and in, of course, the tantric traditions, the number one priority is to activate the aspect of shakti which uh, which tends towards liberating consciousness. So it's literally a question of getting her to turn her focus around so that instead of constantly pushing your attention outward, you she begins to draw it inward and you begin to be able to see through the veil of your own thoughts and uh, and really understand what is actually happening in your heart in your gut in your in you know in in your inner brain uh, and recognize what it is that's actually powering your life and allow that force to you know to take over to the point where you can begin to recognize yourself as an actual embodiment of divine suchness so that's that's pretty much the heart of of, of what I try to unfold for help people get or unfold just
0: through. that just just that
1: and, yes. <laughs> yes. and even in
0: this you know short few minutes of you speaking there's this and I kind of want to share this with everyone listening and who ends up seeing this or watching this in some way is Sally you have this amazing way of facilitating of teaching of, of, of holding a space where it's such a dance it is this it's you know and i've been in a few of your telecourses and it's practice which weaves into myth which weaves into talk which weaves into practice but the whole time is this glorious amazing dance and i want to point that out because i was just feeling it in that short few minutes and I want to invite everyone listening to kind of let that just let themselves maybe be open
1: to right. that. yes 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 yeah and and I I think the thing that is important to me and that is part of what we explore in the classes that I that I teach and and which I think more and more of us are learning how to explore and live with is the utter interpenetration of the divine with the human you know so you know we're obviously at a point where uh, human doing has created many magnificent things in this world but also created some very problematic things you know so so we're at a we're at a place where we actually, it you know it demands an enormous amount of integration and self responsibility and also a kind of surrender. So and I, what I've found is that really understanding Shakti, understanding the, the nature of the weave between you know the, that which is the source of all this and our our own inner source is utterly crucial. You know we we have to do it. It's time to do it. It's time for a lot of people to do it you know, whatever we call it, whether we call it devotion or enlightenment or awakening, um, you know, it's, it's imperative that we, we find a way to come from that, that place of genuine inwardness in whatever we do. Hmm. So. I have this
0: interesting question bubbling up. And I know we're moving our way toward the specifics of cultivating Shakti and talking a bit more about that. And I'm very excited to dive into that and just be very real and raw and honest about that. But there's this question around, why Shakti? Why? Why Shakti and why now? Why Shakti as opposed to what? (laughs) as opposed to another tradition or another path or another doorway
1: in? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question because I know for me, you know, I, when I first began walking the spiritual path, uh, I was in a Western tradition, which essentially uses the archetype, you know, the Western archetypes, which we're talking about deities, you know, mostly we're talking about the Greek, the Greek deity archetypes. And, um, when i met my guru who he was a, he was an indian and his frame of reference was hindu so in most of my practice uh, i was focusing on the really the archetypes as they are understood in indian spirituality and one of the things that i came to realize is that the understanding of the of the two in one nature of the absolute reality the the fact that it is both transcendent and also imminent, you know, that that in other words, there is this divine source, which, you know, one can experience, which is beyond the world, which is unchanged, which is, you know, which nothing that occurs in the physical universe can touch, you know, which is a, a reservoir of infinite peace and, you know, a, a power and love, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a part of that of that transcendent stillness, which manifests as the world and lives as the world lives in the world, um, you know, and which takes the form originally of the life force of you know what in Sanskrit is called the prana, you know, which which actually gives life, which is very much connected to the sun and you know the natural forces of the cosmos. Uh, so. We discover life energy through our own prana, through our own breath, through you know, through noticing the the way the seasons change, through you know, seeing how growth occurs on the earth through the interaction of sun and water and seeds, etc. You know, we, in other words, we come to understand that there is this natural life force that is that is actually all on its own, you know, creating more and more life on this planet, including in ourselves, and that it's an evolutionary force, you know, that it that it's developmental. It's cyclical, but it's also developmental. So what Shakti has to do with this and why Shakti becomes so such a such an incredibly important way to understand it the way the world is, is because Shakti is Shakti is that life force. She is that prana. She's the she's the life in everything. But she's also beyond the physical. So, so, in other words, and what that means from you know, from a sadhana point of view, from a from a spiritual development point of view, is that this same life force, this same prana, which which creates life in all its forms, also serves as the bridge between the physical and the infinitely subtle transcendent world. So if you're interested in you know, in experiencing the transcendent or in bringing the transcendent into the physical world you can't you really can't do it without a connection with shakti and um most of the traditions you know including those who who have no name for this force uh, are actually making use of the power of shakti under different names because there there is no other way to come to the divine without without allowing this energy, you know, which for many of us is found in the heart, but which can be found anywhere without allowing this energy to unfold for us. So I hope that helps to explain something that I know is quite mysterious.
0: That was so beautiful. And I feel just this dance happening in my whole body as you were speaking that just the joy, just this joy in my being. So, yeah, that was beautiful and magnificent. I mean, I love that you spoke to other traditions, other paths, having other names for the same connection, Mm -hmm. the same force, or maybe having no name for it. Right. Yeah, I love that you were able to weave that
1: in too. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is that once you've actually started to be awakened to the presence of Shakti, to the presence of you know of this particular form of subtle energy, then you begin to make connections in different traditions. You know, for instance, in in Christianity, the the name for Shakti is Holy Spirit. You know, it's the or in the Gospels, uh, I believe it's the Gospel of John. Uh, at, the, you know, at the last supper at his final meeting with his disciples, Jesus says something like, I have to leave you so that the comforter can come. And what he means is that, that this inner force that he calls the comforter, you know, which is independent of his physical form, um, which has been you know, really the engine of transformation in, that, in the Christian tradition for thousands of years is really Shakti you know it's you know is that is the particular vortex of spiritual energy that that is enlivened through that lineage you know as it's enlivened in different ways through other lineages uh, but it's never absent that we, we should say she is never absent although often very deeply hidden yeah
0: i think you were reading my mind because holy spirit was rolling in my head as you were speaking earlier yeah, yeah. Um, If it feels right, Sally, I would love to move into cultivating
1: Shakti. yeah, uh well, the most um let's say dramatic way in which we cultivate Shakti is by cultivating Kundalini the the spiritual energy that in is traditionally said to live at the base of the spine to be in in a dormant form and which is awakened at a certain point, usually through contact with the teacher, but it can be awakened in any way and is is a sufficiently dramatic event so that once kundalini has been awakened, you actually begin to be able to have a palpable sense of energy moving in your body, and yeah, so. Whether you have, you know, one of those dramatic kundalini awakenings that people often talk about or whether your awakening is simply a, a subtle shift of your priorities to, to actually cultivate shakti youth, you need to begin to become aware of really the way energy moves and how, you know, there, there's, there's energy in certain parts of your body, there's energy in certain words that you use, there's energy there's certain activities that create particular energies and you start to realize that there, that there are different forms of energy, uh, obviously physical energy, but different forms of psychological, emotional and human energy that we're very familiar with without really understanding exactly what, we, what they are. And among them is a, a kind of personal energy signature that we all have. You know, every one of us is, you know, again, this is probably not new to you, certainly not new to you, and certainly not new to most of the people who are listening. You know, we, we, are, prime, we are energy beings before we are physical beings. So to cultivate Shakti is to tune into our, our subtle energy and to learn how to make it expand in let's call it positive ways to expand toward more awareness, to expand towards more love, rather than uh, in the negative ways, you know, which uh, are actually much more accessible in this world than the positive ones, you know, the, especially in this particular climate, there's an enormous amount of negative energy available. And you know, what we learn to do in Tantra is work with all energies, including the negative energies, so as to transmute them into more positive, more loving, more open forms. And that's really what it is to cultivate shakti. It's to tune into the energy that you're aware of in a situation and actually learn how to get it to expand in positive directions. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah so this course that you have coming up it sounds to me or actually i don't even want to say that i just want to kind of maybe talk a little bit more about what is in this course what and for those who will do the course of course they're going to dive in and they're going to really understand what it's about, but even for those who maybe can't do the course or don't end up doing the course, can you maybe just give an overview or a framework, or here are some of the different components?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to give the course away. But, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, but it's essentially what what we'll what we'll do is work with the different avenues into direct connection with Shakti, with your own inner Shakti. Which, which obviously include practices like pranayama and mantra practices, which are are actually designed to uplift, you know, to upgrade the energy in your system, to infuse higher, subtler forms of energy into your physical body. They'll work with goddesses, uh, with you know, with some of the archetypal figures of the Indian tradition, maybe even a couple of Western goddesses, um, and we'll we'll practice very much with some of the ways in which Shakti manifests in ordinary life, such as through emotions, through thoughts, mm-hmm. through you know intense experiences of various kinds, and and come to understand how we work with with our the ordinary expressions of life energy, such that anything including including experiences that seem very painful and negative, how anything can be turned into really an engine for awakening. So it's it's about how to cultivate the, the aspect of your life force which wants to wake you up to the truth about yourself. And you know, and, and uh, you know, again, in different traditions, different ways of uh, of cultivating shakti have have been uh, have been discovered and known. And uh, and we'll work with quite a few of them. So the idea is that when you're done with the course, you have first of all discovered several modalities for, for uplifting and I would say up leveling, upgrading your personal energy. And hopefully we'll have found some methods that that actually work for you that are, you know, that are that are significant for you, whether they have to do with personal deity forms or with mantras or with very simple, natural practices involving the breath and the inner body. We're, we're going to work with all of those things.
0: <sighs> Can we speak a little bit, and this is almost just a question that comes in from our community quite a bit. And our community is a mixture of younger generation coming in and some older generations. And but some of the younger generation coming in, they, they're kind of really pushing against tradition. Right. And I would love to maybe just have a bit of a conversation around that, around maybe your relationship to tradition or maybe even how you speak about or would offer something around the gifts of tradition and also maybe where things are shifting or evolving to or where the younger generation seems to be i don't know moving things just anything in that kind of territory that is there to share but
1: you know one of the things that is important to understand is that there there are different forms of tradition there's there's tradition that's stultifying that keeps a lid on on your expansion and there's tradition which offers guidelines that have been really vetted over (laughs) hundreds of years by people who were very serious about their practice. So, uh, I think I know that in my own practice I went very deeply into a tradition. I really ate it whole and then gradually over a period of time I began to discover what worked for me in it and what I could discard and you know that this is a kind of a time consuming way to practice. But one of the things that it does for us, you know, if we really come to understand a tradition from the inside, it's, it becomes easy to, to get, not only in the tradition that we are primarily concerned with, but in every other tradition we encounter, it becomes very easy to see what's helpful in a tradition and what is either seriously unhelpful or can just be let go of and discarded. And, I just, I don't think we can make a, a blanket statement about traditions, uh, though, you know, I, I could, in the, in the traditions that I'm familiar with, I can go through certain teachings and say, okay, this is worth paying attention to, forget about that one. You know, here is something that you probably don't, aren't aware of, but that would be really helpful if you understood it. You know, I mean, there are a lot of things in the traditions, a lot of protocols about respect, for example, which I know the younger generation and me too, as, as a, when I was young, you know, young people are...
0: <laughs>
1: Revolutionary
0: rebellious.
1: Yeah, by nature. And, you know, and the idea of respect often gets just mixed up with all the stuff that adults have been trying to make you do since you were two. You know, so, so what does respect mean in the traditions? You know, for, for instance, there's, there's something in every tradition that you don't put your you don't put sacred books on the floor. You don't put your feet on them. <laughs> you don't treat them carelessly. And you know, on the one hand, they're just books. They're just paper and cardboard. It's not like, it's not like a, it's not like the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, or uh, or the Bible has a particular um, sacred quality to the the pages, um, you know, to the materials it's made out of. But it's also true that if that if you treat a book that contains teachings with honor, it's much more likely that the teachings will come into you and expand in you, whereas if you treat it disrespectfully, it's it's probably going to make it harder for you to assimilate what is true in those teachings. So and this is the thing about tradition that I that you know is I think is really, Necessary and important, as knowledge is passed on from generations through generations. You know, because every generation is going to get creative about about the old teachings. That's just part of what we're meant to do. We're you know we're meant to develop. We're meant to become more evolved than our parents, and our children are meant to be more evolved than us. And you know, and what a great thing that is. Um, but you know, for instance. You know, I I'm not a I don't believe that the American Constitution is a sacred book. I understand how it came about, but on the other hand, it is the blueprint for how you know how American society is laid out. And there are certain assumptions that that come out of our you know post Western Enlightenment traditions, such as the importance of due process. Um, you know the the way elections are set up, uh, many, many things that are that are some of them are written in the Constitution, some of them are simply traditions. You know, and one of the things we discovered during the last presidency is that a lot of what we've taken for granted about our society is not set in stone that somebody can come along and just say, screw that I'm not paying attention to any of these norms and essentially destroy the society, you know, destroy some of the underpinnings of the society. So, and I, this is happening, and I think probably happens periodically throughout history in many different arenas, you know, that that, that, that political situations go through deep upheavals, religions go through deep upheavals. So um, the question is, what does the tradition protect us from? Hmm. And what does the tradition uh, keep us from discovering, you know, so, and, and and I mean, I can say a lot more about it, um, but maybe you have something you'd like to add or something you'd like to say. I think
0: those two questions are so powerful and I'm loving this conversation and I think everyone in our community will be loving this conversation. And just feeling like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and And yeah. I think really like having this conversation, maybe even diving into how can we hone that discernment piece in ourselves where just because something rubs us the wrong way doesn't mean it's not the perfect teaching for us. Exactly. exactly. So I'm wondering if you just, yeah,
1: this is beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's so in terms of what a tradition protects us from theoretically and in the you know in the best case scenario teachings have to teachings come down through lineages you know so and in most traditions there are so-called official lineages and when you receive a teaching through such a lineage you know you you know in general that it's it's been protected it's been held you know, it, so it's not, you know, somebody who was sitting by a riverbank and suddenly saw a vision, you know, and decided that, that you know, they should teach the, you know, the vision of three angels who, you know, who can come into your body and open your heart and, and you know, please bow down and take my name. You know, that's, so a uh, tradition hopefully will protect you from, you know, that kind of, freelance craziness that you know that as, as we know has has lived in the world for a really long time so on the other hand and you know most of the orthodox traditions are guilty of this the what a tradition will also protect is the assumptions and beliefs of the of the priests you know of the authorities and you know because m- so many traditions are primarily engaged with with protecting their their sense of authority, you know, if you have a, a personal experience or an original idea, or if, you know, if you deeply understand that there need to be some sort of developmental shifts, you're likely to come up against a tremendous resistance from authority. So and I think that's what youth in general, you know, and what creative people in general run across in traditional situations. There's so much fundamentalism. In every tradition, and I'm not going to mention any names, but there is no religious tradition that is free of sort of terrifying fund- fundamentalist ideas, you know, in many cases. So, uh, so that, that's really the issue, which is the, what's the baby and what's the bathwater. <laughs> so, so and, and I think in general, you know, I, I would say fundamentalism is the bathwater. You know, fundamentalism is very useful at certain stages in their practice. Uh, there you know there are certainly times when you know having a belief that this is the way to do it, this is the way to you know work with the breath, this is the way to work with the mantra, this is the way to talk about the divine. It's very, very helpful, especially if you've been deeply engaged in a you know in a difficult life with a lot of confusion which many of us are you know to find a path where they tell you exactly what to do. You know, it's like it's like putting a fence around a growing tree. You know, you, you know, it just keeps it it keeps it going in in the right direction. But at a certain point, you're supposed to you're supposed to have found your own guidance. You know, and uh, and you're supposed to be able to discern and uh, and in order to have permission to discern. In other words, a lot of people come into religious or spiritual traditions and you know, and they eat the teaching whole and then they believe that that's it, that's all you have to do, you just you just follow it, you go on, you know, I teach meditation, you go on practicing the meditation that you learned from your first teacher 12 years ago, despite the fact that, you know, that within, within you is this voice saying, well, why not try this? Or this has begun to stultify me, you know, so, and uh, it's, so it's very important just to have a teacher and a tradition that, that understands the need of the individual to find their own individual path within the tradition so that you don't have to leave you know, in order to, to do it in the way that, that your heart is guiding you. you know? and, and this I think is the great gift that, that as modern practitioners, as contemporary practitioners who are beginning to understand is, is how to be within a tradition and yet to, to be your own your own person within the tradition. Because, you know, and in, you know, in many of the older traditions, uh, there is a lot of room for this kind of thing. You know, so I, I know a friend of mine who was involved in, um, I guess you could call it a new age cult that I was also involved in for a while in my 20s. Uh, you know, And because it was a new religion, there was enormous emphasis on, on saying and doing it exactly the way you were told to say in do world. And he told me at a certain point he left and he began to study with, he, with a rabbi in Los Angeles. He began to study traditional Judaism. And he said, the thing he loved about it is that because Judaism is such an old tradition, there've been so many interpretations of the texts but there's a lot of room. The space. The freedom. Yeah, there's a lot of space, a lot of freedom. You can, you know, you can see things differently. Uh, and you know, if you're in the right community, it's you know, it, it, the tradition itself will hold you while you do your exploration. And and I think that's actually one of the great things about, you know, the traditions is that uh, they can, you know, they can do that if you have, but you need that said the teacher the the community that you're learning in uh has to be very clear about that you know and undefensive
0: yeah 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 there was this piece that you were speaking of um and it's this point on your own journey on one's own journey when it's not just to be drinking the tradition and drinking the practices and just doing the practices but there's a point where it's your own inner teacher really comes to life can you maybe give i know that that's a big question in our community around what does that feel like how do i know how how do i know if it's i'm I'm really authentically being called to explore something a different way or yeah, if you have some
1: words around that, that might be something beautiful. Um, Yeah, and uh, that, well, the the standard answer, and, and I do believe it is the correct answer, it's just a little bit hard to discern, is that when the teaching is coming from your mind, from your surface mind, it's one thing. When the teaching is coming from a deeper place, it's another, and you know, for we, there's nobody who doesn't have this question. <laughs> How do I know that my guidance is real guidance? How do I know that my intuition is real intuition? I mean, there are several ways that, that we know. One is that, generally speaking, even when it's pretty intense, um, true teachings come from a positive place. In other words, the true teachings are never going to tell you you're a sinner. You ruined your life. There's no hope for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, a true teaching is always going to point a path and and kind of cheer you onto it, but not necessarily flatter you. So, So that's, you know, that's one of the ways, you know, it's not going to be, a, you know, your inner guides are not going to beat you up, but they're also not going to tell you that you're the special chosen one. <laughs> so the teachings of the inner guides are, they' they generally speaking are non-dual uh, and you know and generally speaking they're positive so there's and one of the ways one of the things that i've I've learned how to do when something comes up that feel that is different from you know from what I believe I should be doing is is to really ask ask where is this coming from Is this coming from the sacred space is this is this coming from God? Is this coming from, you know, from, uh, from my deepest truth? And generally speaking, you'll get a truthful answer. You'll get a feeling. Maybe it's like an uh, uh, if it's a yes or, you know, a different kind of uh, if it's a no. And so it's very important to, you know, to just keep asking, is this, is this, is this path correct? Should I continue to follow it? And then taking it one step at a time. You know, because truly speaking, guidance doesn't always come in the form of a voice or a vision. Yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> way too
0: convenient.
1: It would be way yeah, too exactly, way. exactly, exactly. I mean, much of the guidance that I receive is not it. It comes as a direction that I find myself walking in, without yeah. necessarily having been told to take that direction or even knowing why I'm walking in that direction. So this is, you know, and what it means to cultivate shakti is in part, how do you learn how to follow, how to move through the seams of reality, uh, you know, in such a way that you're actually going in a direction that is taking you closer to the truth. So, and there's the only way I know to do that is by experience yeah you know you make mistakes you learn what it feels like to be a mistake state and then you you go on you take the next step
0: oh you've just brought some beautiful words to some to this experience that i have often where i'm moving in a direction and then my mind will finally catch up yeah it's like my mind finally catches on that but i'm already I've already been three steps. I've been moved. (laughs) But the mind is like, oh, wait, what? Oh, shoot. Oh, that's what we're doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, you know, and there are a lot of things involved in that. I I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, you know, that famous experiment where they, I think it was an MRI. they They did an MRI and they saw that, that the, the, the arm moved before the brain commanded the brain to move, you know? So, so in a certain sense, we are being moved by, by, I would say, I believe by the life force. Yeah. You know, in the direction of our intentions. Right. And that's, you know, there's this go-
0: full circle back to your cultivating Shakti and keeping right. that directional force toward love, toward love, toward the positive side.
1: Yes. And towards growth, you know, towards, towards genuine growth, towards what's good for the whole, you know, what's, what's just just good for my selfish you know, small part and what's, what's good for the greater whole, what will benefit others as well as me, you know, those kinds of questions um, and the intentions to be a benefit to others and the intention to, to develop, to grow, those, those ways of thinking create pathways that when the, you know, when movement happens, it will tend to move you along those pathways. Yeah,
0: yeah. Can I ask about your personal journey, simply because I think it might help others who are wanting to step into sharing or teaching or facilitating or being of service in some way. So I wanna just make that really, really broad and really, really expansive, not necessarily a teacher, but to be in service of some in some way. How did you know, and I think we're in service all of the time, even when we're in absolute stillness and we're meditating and we're doing the dishes, but like that external service is more of what I'm talking about. How did you know when you were kind of called to move out of student, into more of a, for you, a teacher
1: space? Well, in the, uh, in the organization that I was involved with, there's not, there was not a clear demarcation. In other words, people with, you know, let's call, let's, call, let's say, advanced students, people who'd, you know, who had assimilated the teachings and also had communication skills, would, as in many spiritual organizations, find ourselves teaching. You know, whether leading a, leading a study group or giving a talk. So it was actually kind of a seamless uh, transition. And then at a certain point, I left the organization um, partly for, the, for intellectual freedom. I mean, partly so that I could, you know, because I, I was having impulses and understandings that, while not at odds with my tradition, were, let's just say, worded or understood slightly differently. Uh, and and also, I you know i I was living a very, very protected life. I was a Swami, I was a monk in a situation in which there's a lot of respect given to monks. Um, the monks are fully supported and and to live a life that's quite separate from regular people's lives. And I began to feel that it I really wanted to be teaching from a place that was much more equal mm-hmm. to the I was teaching so that you know, so that I was dealing with the same issues, um, the same, you know, some of the same problems. I mean, you know, you don't stop being a monk just because you take off your robes, but, (laughs) but, you know, when you step out of an organization, you have to pay the bills. So, so that was really, uh, that was really what happened. And by that time, Just let let me just say I had certain skills I had certain understandings, but it was a while before I felt really confident in you know in my authority as a teacher. It took I I really had to um, I had to do it for a while. I had to make mistakes. Um, You know I I had to gain confidence, and I think that that's that's part of the journey of being a a teacher or a helper you know is that is you you at some point you just leap in uh and hope you don't hurt anybody <laughs> you know do no harm is really the first principle of anything as far as i can see and you know and then you then you develop uh, i do think it's important um not to start teaching too soon you know and really to give yourself the opportunity to uh to develop, to cook. And, uh, and what that means, of course, is that we actually need to have a certain amount of, of personal self-confidence, personal self-love. We, you know we have, to f- we have to feel that our lives are meaningful and that we ourselves are meaningful, no matter what we're doing, because otherwise there is a tendency for people to become teachers or healers or helpers Because it gives them a sense of purpose in their lives without necessarily having done as much inner work as they need to do in order to be really helpful. So that's the that's the cusp there.
0: I think that is so key and so important is that that last piece is to be that like soul esteemed is t- to be esteemed from within and not stepping into teaching or serving in some way to be esteemed from the external and filled from the external.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and you know that's a lifelong journey. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: Um can we just say a few words about two pieces of work that you've done that are very easily accessible and are accessible anytime. And it's awakening Shakti and doorways to the infinite. Yes. two pieces of work that I recommend to, so Sally, I have a bit of a confession. <laughs> are you ready? This is my confession. <laughs> I am asked all of the time for resources on archetypes all of the time yeah and i my answer is always they are so much more than something that you can read about and and ev- everything misses the mark there's one body of work on archetypes that i feel contains the juice that that contains the juice of archetypes and it's awakening shakti and i mean i say that just with i have gratitude for all the books written on archetypes all the myths shared all of the everything that's been done on goddesses and done on archetypes but um But that's kind of how I always reference and I don't share many resources. I really don't share a whole lot of resources because it's really just going within, going within what is your relationship? What is your relationship? And get in the circles and be with the teachings and be with the practices and have a devotion to the particular goddess or the particular deity or archetype that you're working with and just dive in um, and have good teachers like we were just talking about. Um, But that, that book's got some magic in it.
1: It's got the juice. <laughs> so it does. It does. And I and I the reason it does actually is because it, you know, to a large extent it's channeled. I mean, I I did a lot of research. I'd spent a lot of I'd spent many years practicing when I read it, when I wrote it, but uh the the way I wrote it was by really opening up and asking each individual goddess that I was practicing with to to really download her essence and in many cases they they did you know some of them i think are more uh deeply true than others uh some of them are you know wilder than others but it i i really kind of got out of the way when i was writing it and and uh i think that's why it has you you actually do get a kind of a download of goddess in Mm -hmm. each of those yeah it's I also want to talk about my other book, which is called "Meditation for the Love of It." Yeah, uh, which is, it's a, uh, it's a kind of. It expresses that the learning that came to me over forty years of meditation, of how to make your meditation practice your own. So it's there's, you know, there's a lot of there's basics in it about how to meditate, but mostly. It's about finding the art in your meditation practice. Uh, and, uh, and that's, I would say a, it's, that's a book that I think is pretty helpful for somebody who wants to step out of their, you know, their initial teaching, but wants to do it with a sense of what is important and what works and what they need to hold from the traditions and what they can let go of.
0: I love that. And we just spoke about that in a circle That I held on Saturday was Uh stepping into, stepping deeper and deeper into your own unique practice, and really feeling into what is true, what most serves in my practice today. Where am I most called today? And it sounds like this supports that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it does, and it's yeah. And I and I, you know, we actually do need in our in our practice we need references we need places that we can go and check things out so that book ha- does a lot of that it's got you know it's got a section on troubleshooting which um is a compendium of all the questions that i've received in years <laughs> teaching <It> out, <laughs> only
0: so like my, one or two questions right over
1: my teacher used to say there are 20 questions there are only 20 questions <laughs> and it's pretty true um yeah so I, I just, I think of these books as resources for people who, you know, who are really doing the exploration and, that, and that's what they're meant to be, just to help you do that, do your own exploration.
0: And can you talk a tiny little bit about Doorways to the Infinite as well?
1: Yeah, so Doorways to the Infinite is, it's an audio program uh, that's based on the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, which is really quite an extraordinary text. It's from the seventh century. Um, from northern India, and it consists of a it's a dialogue between Shiva and Shakti, between these mythological characters who stand for the you know the, the two aspects of the infinite. And uh, and in the and it the it starts with the question, what is the best way to know the state of Shiva, um, the state of realization? We're having some. Guatemalan gardener action outside. <laughs> so, and and the the book consists of 108 meditation practices uh, that um, that you can you can do yourself. Some of which are very sensually oriented, very much to do with the senses. Some of which are literally meditations on emptiness. Some of which, you know, involve chakras. Or rising kundalini, some of which involve visualizations. So it's it's actually a compendium of techniques, and because it's an audio program, I give specific instructions in each of them. So you can you can kind of do the the program as a retreat, if if you're drawn to.
0: It's beautiful, and so for anyone in our community who's been working in the realms of sacred union of even touching into sacred sexuality, because I know some of those practices are really sensual practices. Um, That's a really great resource, I would say, for those who've been like dipping a toe into working with both of, of the energies, both Shiva and Shakti.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow. So I want to respect the, whatever's happening over on your side, but I want to just maybe ask if there's anything else that you feel to share, Sally, before we kind of wrap things up.
1: Yeah, you know, this was a delightful conversation, Sabrina, and uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. So um, may, we, may we all unfold to our highest potential now and in the future, in this very moment
0: oh that is so so beautiful and i'm i believe the website where people can find the course and find everything that we've spoken about is just
1: sallykempton.com is that right sallykempton.com yes okay. and i there also i also have a lot of meditations on yoga glow the actually it's called glow now um there i have a, there are about 60 meditations with me on that site so if you if you go to glow and look under teachers um You'll find, you'll find me there as well. So, and my website has a lot of stuff on it, a lot of articles and my schedule and little store where you can uh, download courses. So you, a lot of my courses are uh, after, they've, after they've done live, we actually carry them on the website at a considerable discount. So you can download the course and, uh, and take it on your own.
0: Oh, beautiful, Sally! Thank you so, 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 so much for this. It was wonderful.
1: Well, it was my pleasure, Sabrina, and uh, and your community sounds fantastic. So <laughs> congratulations on all the great work you're doing.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sally, and thank you to everyone who was here with us.